the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things nutrition, health-related. And I'm here with my co-host, Joe. Did you have a good Christmas? I had an awesome Christmas, like a fool. Not necessarily the Fire Within way, but once a year, I eat myself sick and don't do it again. I think if people are going to make an exception, Christmas is one of the times. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to a great topic today. What is that? Sleep and stress. Hey, we ought to talk about that on today's episode. Yeah, now that you got all your family out of the house, <laughs> you got your traveling <laughs> over, trying to get back into your rhythm and routine. So we have a whole episode dedicated to ways to improve sleep quality and reduce stress. So you wake up refreshed and more energetic. So this is based off of one of my most popular workshops that I offer. But I think it, it impacts everybody. Uh, we're just going to start with the quote, you're not healthy unless your sleep is healthy. And it's one of the last places people look. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, what is the number one thing you can do to build muscle? What would you think that is, Joe? Well, I would guess based on what the topic of the show is, but it probably wouldn't have been my guess before to get good sleep. <laughs> Absolutely. So usually people will say protein, which does help, or they'll say strength training, which definitely helps. But it's actually sleep. Now, what happens is if you're awake, you're breaking down, period. And during the workout itself, you're actually breaking down muscle tissue. It's only during proper sleep that we have the hormones needed to rebuild into something. So a lot of people I worked with in the past, they'd be killing it at the gym. And they're like, I don't understand why my gains are so slow. Why aren't I putting on muscle? Well, how much sleep are you getting? I don't know, five and a half hours. Well, there you go. So oftentimes you would be better off skipping a, a second workout or, or cutting down the length if it can add more time to your sleep. So what is the exact right nowadays recommendation for sleep in a night? Seven hours, 49 minutes, and 23 seconds. That um, sounds very specific. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> it differs for everybody. You know, I think there is a good portion of the population that may do very well on six hours. And some people, they need eight or nine hours. But yeah. I think shooting closer towards seven is a big deal. And it's not just how much sleep that matters, as we'll talk throughout this podcast, but it's also when you're getting sleep and the quality of sleep. So the timing of that sleep makes a big difference. Uh, when we get the circadian rhythm, we'll talk about that a little bit more. There's something really cool I wanted to mention. Uh, there's something called a telomere. Do you know what the heck a telomere is? Uh, no. What's a telomere? So at the ends of your chromosomes, uh, you have an end cap that kind of functions like the plastic at the end of a shoelace, and its job is to keep that shoelace from unraveling. Okay. Uh, basically, we have these on the ends of our chromosomes. It's called a telomere. And the longer the telomere is, the theory is, the longer you can live biologically. So we're not talking about chronological age. We're talking about biological and they can actually check this stuff out under some kind of crazy microscope and, and give you a good idea as to how much that telomere is unraveling. And the quickest way to unravel this thing, which is the aging process, would actually be to have crappy sleep and to eat a bunch of sugar and junk. So where is a telomere located? The ends of your chromosome. Do you know what an aglet is? Not a clue. It's the little piece of plastic on the end of a shoelace. Well, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> I learned something new today. So now you can also add length to these things by uh, up to two to three years of length's worth through exercise and eating a lot better. How would one go about finding out what your actual biological age is? This is the process they measure these telomeres? It's one theory um, that's pretty solidly backed by science. Have you ever thought about if somebody could tell you the exact date and time you'd die? I, I know, know there's that. a uh, there's like a website called Death Clock where you put in like your BMI and your age and et cetera, and it should cheering out the date in which it thinks you're going to die. And I remember a bunch of people did that at work and everybody was a little bit bummed out and one guy had been dead for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no, I, I have no desire to know. That, that's terrifying to me. Although the way I drive, it might be sooner than <laughs> like. Oh. So anyway, that's one thing to keep in mind. We want to add length to our telomeres. The next thing I want to talk about is what can a poor night of sleep do to your brain? Uh, so to start with, we have 
two important parts of the brain. One is called the prefrontal cortex, which is something that sets humans apart from most any other species that allows us to make decisions. And then we have the amygdala. And if there is an interruption of glucose from the prefrontal cortex to the amygdala, then we have poor impulse control and it's hard to follow through on our goals. And so if you see the cookie at the Harris Teeter, you know, you get the free kids cookie, you can't say no to that if that connection has been cut off. So, so not getting much sleep cuts off the amygdala from the prefrontal cortex. And glucose, we get that from sugar, right? That's kind of the fuel for the brain? Yeah, glucose can actually be derived from any of the macros. Fat can be converted, protein can be converted, carbohydrates as well. So it's but, basically is but, something that the body uses to convert into energy, and that's called glucose. Correct. Gotcha. Uh, the storage form in your muscles is called glycogen, but we're pretty much all talking about the same thing, based some form of sugar. So carbohydrate, sugar, glucose, glycogen. So what causes an interruption in the glucose between the, the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala? That would be super poor sleep. Super poor sleep. In fact, one night of poor sleep can leave a healthy individual's blood work to show um, as insulin resistant as a type 2 diabetic. Really? What? After one bad night of sleep. One, one really poor night of sleep, could you can have a similar blood work result, which is why when you have blood work drawn, if they want to get a the most accurate reading as to what you typically are, they if they always ask you, did you get a good night's sleep? Right. If not, you may want to put off that blood draw because it may not be representative of normal. Unless you chronically have a poor night of sleep, then it'd probably be pretty accurate. So earlier I asked like what the right number was, and you said it kind of depends. How do you know? Like, what kind of signs do you get from your body if you slept enough? And what kind of signs do you get if you're like, oh, that wasn't great? So if you're not recovering very well from workouts, if you're super, super tired and fatigued and sore and groggy, if your appetite's out of control, if you have poor impulse control, if you're irritable. Increased appetite could be lack of sleep. I guess that makes sense. I never really put those two together before, but. Yeah, you're, especially if it's for sugars, because your, your body will uh, crave those for quick energy if, if you're exhausted, but you try and force yourself to stay up. Yeah. I can't remember who said it on one of the past episodes, but it's how come at two o'clock in the morning nobody goes for a chicken breast and spinach. <laughs> but it's true. Like when you're when it's late at night, you eat like crap. Oh, absolutely. Uh, especially Christmas time, my goodness. No. But that's a really important thing to to notate. Now, this next part I think is extremely important. And we're gonna talk about something called the glymphatic system. And this is with a G. And most people are familiar with the lymphatic system and lymph fluid and lymph massage which they, they're kind of a system that helps shuttle things to your liver for detoxification and things like that. And that's the one that you've mentioned on the show before, that you just have to move to get that thing activated. Right, right. As long as your body is physically moving, that'll act- activate the lymphatic with an L. The lymphatic system with an L does not have a pump, like your cardiovascular system has the heart. So if you don't move, it doesn't move. And the more sedentary you are, the harder it is for your body to process garbage out and get it to the liver for elimination. When you were telling me a little bit before, so the brain kind of has its own closed lymphatic system yep. and it's called the glymphatic the system. The glymphatic. That's right. Now this is a closed unit system specific to the brain that is not working with the lymphatic system and it only activates during deep sleep. So it's only during deep sleep. Yep. And I can't remember what specific stage, if it's REM, which isn't as deep or if it's, but, but if you're not getting proper sleep, this thing is not activated. Mm-hmm. And what happens is your brain cells can shrink up to 60% of their size. And there is a fluid that runs through your brain, almost like pressure washing or dishwashing, to, that cleans up this accumulation of what's called beta amyloid plaque. And what beta amyloid plaque typically comes from is end products of sugar. And this is now what we understand to be causing Alzheimer's and dementia. Hmm. So, so much that those diseases are also referred to as type 3 diabetes. And so there's this this buildup that occurs in your brain that makes it harder and harder for the glymphatic system to do its job. Right. And it's not active as long or as powerful. And uh, so so that could be detrimental to that cleanup process. So the less of that flushing of the plaque you have, the more accumulation it has. So more memory loss, more Alzheimer's, more dementia. Hmm. Yeah, if you're feeling like you're forgetting a lot, it may not be so much ginkgo coloba, but just getting better sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Bodies are cool. They are cool. <laughs> yeah. 
So where I learned this from was Dr. Stephen Gundry. I feel like my brain shrinks by 60% just at various times during the day. (laughs) Maybe I got something wrong with my lymphatic system. Maybe so. I feel like every time my wife says something, then my brain just, (laughs) my brain shrinks and dumb stuff comes out. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's trigger happy. It's just like, I'm going to fire now. (laughs) So the next topic here is something called circadian rhythm. Now, before I started doing the research, I thought this was some very nonsense. Like, what is circadian rhythm? I've heard the name a lot. Like, I know it's been around for a long time, or at least I've known of its existence. Yeah. So a really simplistic definition of what that is, is the body's natural hormonal cycles that follow the natural rise and fall of the sun and the moon. Things that can alter circadian rhythm are exposure to artificial lights, which we're going to cover in a little bit, that confuse the body into thinking it's sunlight. There's actually a really interesting study they did where they took a LED light that's shown about the size of a quarter, mm-hmm. and they put it underneath somebody's leg so no other part of their body can see it. And just that blue light on their skin was enough to interrupt sleep cycles. Oh, really? Yeah. Because not, it's not just what we see, but your skin has photoreceptors as well that can interpret different types of light that actually cause a hormonal change. And so that interruption from that nickel-sized blue light was enough to impact sleep. Why is it blue light? What does it represent? It represents morning time? It's the same type of wavelengths coming from the sun that cue awake hormones. But the sun is yellow. (laughs) (laughs) We perceive it as yellow. It's all kinds of colors. Remember, light is the whole rainbow. Yeah. But primarily, we were getting blue wavelengths. We want that to stop at night to tell the body, stop producing these awake hormones and shift over into sleep hormones. So maybe it's less the color of the sun, more the color of the sky. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe. Maybe that's why it appears blue. I don't know. That'd be a fun little science lesson. Why is the sky blue? (laughs) I have no idea. Dapa died. (laughs) Blue, dapa dee, dapa die. (laughs) But anyway, so being careful of, of when we get exposure to that type of light and then being intentional about getting sunlight at the right types of day in the morning can actually increase hormones like serotonin, which improves mood. And we'll also increase melatonin production later at night because melatonin is, or serotonin is a precursor to melatonin. So, so that can help. And the optimal time to get sun exposure is actually between 6 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. Hmm. That'll also upregulate vitamin D3 as well. Um, There's now, something about morning light. Yep. Now, that'll change in the winter and depending on what, how far away you are from the equator. But generally speaking, on the East Coast anyway, if you're an East Coast listener, uh, it's going to be between 6 and 8.30 a.m. Yeah. Maybe that just means like first two hours of sunlight would be another way to think about it. That might be an easy, easy way. Now, this even works when it's cloudy because even if it's cloudy out, those rays are still getting through the UV and UB uh, sun exposure. So something, something you can add to your regimen is just being mindful of getting 15 uh, 15 to 20 minutes of sun exposure in the morning. Yeah, something really simple could just be opening your curtains. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. I haven't done any research on if the uh, exposure is better, any lessened by glass or not. I actually yeah. don't know. I have super cheap old windows, so I'm sure I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're not blocking anything. Yeah. They don't have like that argon glass in between them, those new fancy windows that yeah. block out everything. No, I don't have any of that going on, huh? Now, one point we've covered in episodes past, especially uh, talking about the microbiome, is 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. And drops in serotonin can lead to anxiety and depression. So in addition to some of the nutritional changes you can make to increase serotonin, you can also get that exposure to sunlight in the morning, and that'll help boost that as well. Hmm. Talk to me about these blue light glasses that are so popular right now. Like you were just saying, there was a study about blue light affecting somebody's leg and they couldn't even see it. Is that a different system that people are worried about the blue light for their eyeballs? Is that not linked to circadian rhythm? Is that something else? Oh, it absolutely is linked to circadian rhythm through the eyes as well. But because that's the primary focus point of a screen is right in your face and in your eyes, the, the blue light glasses do help quite a bit. Now, one of the things they don't help with is something called flicker which we talked about a few episodes back. And flicker happens with LED lights, some of these newer technologies. They're actually rapidly flashing on and off. They're measured in hertz, right? I Actually, I'm not aware. I'll have to look into that. I know like video game monitors, they have a faster refresh rate, which is another way of saying flicker, and it's measured in hertz. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Now, what this flicker does is it fatigues your brain quite a bit. and yeah. It's a lot imperceivable to the human eye. I know this because I used to do video work. And like if you, have a, if you have a light that you didn't pay a lot of money for, like the LEDs that are in the studio right now, these are like the $7 LED bulbs from Lowe's. I guarantee if we were shooting in like 60 frames a second, you could see those things tick. Yeah. If you have an iPhone, you can record in slow-mo and you can see it flashing. Yeah. But a lot of women, especially, I don't know why they're more susceptible. That might be interesting to research. But women especially are, are super, super susceptible to, to migraines and things from this flicker effect. And so we didn't used to have any kind of flicker back in the day when it was all incandescent light bulbs, right? Those right. are just a filament. But now we've got, we're sw- everybody's switching to LED. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to have any long-term effects on people. Oh, I think it will. So especially if you're a woman and, and then you have unexplained migraines and you've tried everything and you don't know where they're coming from. Well, that'd can, be something interesting to try. Yeah, consider switching your, your bulbs out to halogen or incandescent in your home. Which are and getting harder and harder to buy. Like they are. so hard to find now. Unless yeah. you buy those like $10 hipster ones that are meant to be decorative. <laughs> And then you can also just, you know, reduce all light at night. I, I go to just a salt rock lamp my last 45 minutes or so. So why um, are those so popular? I see, like, they're very, like, they come across very granola, the salt block. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that term, granola. Granola, like, like, like a hippie thing. Yeah, yeah like that's funny. Very, like, earthy, like... So, so I can be honest, before I did the research, I thought it was absolute nonsense. And then I bought one. Yeah. And um, it's a really, really soft glow that mimics firelight. Uh, oh, so okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, much less lumens. And the other benefit is the salt. Salt is a, neg- a neutral or negative ion, which helps with inflammation and helps with air quality. So most fans have an ion feature as well. Mm. That salt rock lamp does the same. In fact, what's becoming more popular is these salt caves. And you can buy a 45-minute session to literally take a nap in these caves full of thousands of pounds of pink Himalayan sea salt and Israeli salt. Yeah. And All the lamps I've seen have been the pink Himalayan sea salt lamps. Yeah. So so it helps with the air quality. It helps neutralize some of the pro-inflammatory things going on. I mean, that soft glow mimics firelight and, and really helps with getting your body ready for bed. Mm. Yeah, so they'd be a good part to add to like your nighttime routine, for example. Exactly. You know, I recommend it staying on your bed stand in the last 30 to 45 minutes of sleep. Make sure that that's your primary source of light. How bad is a TV in your bedroom, Brandon? Break it down. (laughs) Well, it's definitely blue light exposure. I always fall asleep to a TV. So every hour exposure to blue light from television at night is a 30-minute delay in melatonin release at night. So even if you fall asleep, you might be missing some of the important regenerative stages of sleep because of that blue light. So let's say you fall asleep to a TV and you're getting nine hours and you're still waking up exhausted. It might have something to do with it. Mm. Now let's talk about, you know, we touched on the microbiome serotonin and how that is a precursor to melatonin. We're going to talk about just a few things that alter gut bacteria in a negative way. Remember, if your serotonin drops, this is also going to impact your sleep quality. We know that agricultural chemicals such as glyphosate and Roundup that's sprayed on many of our foods can negatively impact that serotonin level. So that's why another reason why it may be worth buying organic, at least for some things. So serotonin, you mentioned earlier, a great way to kind of start the day off right and increase your serotonin levels is by seeing sunlight early on the day. What are some other ways that serotonin is aided in getting produced in the human body? It was just a natural thing. You just got to worry more about destroying it. (laughs) The number one, I think, is what we're talking about now with the microbiome is reducing the types of uh, bacterias that lower that. So sugars Mm -hmm. and candida and yeast and things like that. By eating tons and tons more vegetables and cutting out a lot of the sugars, you're going to have a shift in the microbiome bacteria that will allow your gut to naturally produce more serotonin. Okay. So staying away from processed foods, you know, one of the worst things you can do for serotonin in the microbiome is using antibiotics. That completely, especially if it's a broad spectrum, will wipe your microbiome out completely like napalm. And it often takes two years to regain the amount of species you had prior to taking that antibiotic. Man, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're really sick, the doctor says you need these things. Right, and they are life-saving, and I'm not saying never to use them, 
But if you have acne and you're using antibiotics for that, or if you have like a ingrown toenail and they recommend antibiotics, you know, it may not be the first place you want to go. You want to be really selective when you choose those. Wow. Um, I know people that would take it five and six times a year antibiotic because of a cold or something. I remember actually before I knew anything about nutrition, begging and pleading with a doctor for a Z-Pack because I had this awful cold. He said, first of all, you know, it's a virus and it's not going to help. You know, I can prescribe this to you, but but I think it's a complete waste. But I demanded, no, I need a Z-Pack or I'm not going to get better. And I don't know if it's placebo effect or what, <laughs> but I take the Z-Pack and a couple of days later get better. Probably would have ran its course on its own. Mm-hmm. But he was trying to save me from that just demolishment of my microbiome, but I didn't know any better then. But I know early introduction of, of antibiotics can lead to Crohn's disease, uh, Crohn's disease, diverticulitis, autoimmune issues, allergens yeah. in kids, so especially in younger children. So serotonin levels being low, what are some of the things that that does to the body? It causes anxiety, causes depression, can cause uh, worry and fretfulness, panic, phobias, mental obsessions, compulsions can cause pain, such as fibromyalgia-type symptoms, certainly carbohydrate cravings, GI distress, PMS. It just goes on and on. Depressed mood, sleep cycle disturbances. It must be something. Increased symptoms of PMS? Because I know that's not what causes PMS. No. No, no, but it could exacerbate <laughs> right. some of the negative symptoms. I got you. Well, that's a crazy, scary list. Yeah. <laughs> so you definitely want to be you careful. Just, just make that whole list just be a walking mess. That's what. Yep. Yeah. That's essentially. So serotonin is very, very important. It's something we want to protect. And we talked about a couple episodes with Amanda ago that how one in six are on antidepressants and things. Now that's heavily due to serotonin deficiency that yeah. can be helped. So you mentioned that a broad spectrum antibiotic can really destroy your microbiome health. What are some other things that can jeopardize so we talked about the agricultural chemicals like glyphosate and Roundup, but also preservatives, chlorinated tap water, the municipal drinking water, which they had all the, you know, I'm glad it's there, but when drinking specifically, it's best to filter. And then also NSAID use, which is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen, Motrin, Tylenol. If you're using those chronically, you're literally putting holes in the lining in your small intestines, and that's having an impact on your serotonin levels as well. And so ways to grow healthy gut bacteria? Cutting out all that nonsense, adding in as many different types of vegetables as you can. So it's Um, about variety, really. Variety, not not quantity, but variety. Because every different type of nutrient helps grow different types of species that can overpopulate some of the candida and sugar-loving type. And eat the, like the, as much as you can enjoy, right? Eat all the hard fiber parts of it too. Yeah, yeah. Like the raw. Well, not all raw, though. Uh, Like for me. Don't eat the orange peel. (laughs) That, and there's some things that do very poorly with my system. Everybody's different. Like if I eat raw cauliflower, raw broccoli, or raw kale, my stomach is just, it feels like there's little gremlins running around in there, Mm. and and it's not fun for anybody around me. Yeah. So everybody's going to tolerate different types. So so listen to your body, but but get as much variety as you can. Cooked or raw is going to give you different benefits. Uh, for instance, we know that with tomatoes, if you cook them, you know, we get this lycopene that can actually help with cancer, where if it's raw, you don't get that same benefit. So, mm. so I think it's good to do some cooked, some fermented, some raw, um, yeah. and just figure out what your body responds well to. My wife has been ordering these boxes from Hello Dish or something like that. It's not Hello Fresh. It's like your dish. or It's another one of the competitors. But man, it just comes with this box full of like weird veggies and like all raw. And you put it all together yourself. And one, it's really fun because you kind of get to pretend like you're a cook because it's got very detailed instructions. It's when you can really see everything that goes into it and make better choices. Because like, for example, it's like ferment these onions to put on these delicious tacos. And so it'll say put in the vinegar and then add the sugar and add a bunch of, and then you just don't put in the stuff that you don't want in there and it still tastes great, but it's, it's totally different than when you eat at a restaurant and you got no idea how they made the thing. And And almost always something was coated in vegetable oil mm -hmm. at a restaurant, even the vegetables. And it's fun to just kind of see like, like how sauces are made, for example. Like I had no idea that sauces were such like sugar factories. Yeah, unfortunately. 
Now, uh, some of the hacks for that, you know, I love coconut aminos instead of soy sauce, which have a natural sweetness from coconut. Yeah. Uh, so when I make an Asian sauce, I like to do that. Or, you know, maybe opt for honey instead of table sugar when you can. Right. Not, no, it's not necessarily a health food, but it's a better uh, right. food. But those coconut aminos have a, quite a bit of sweetness on their own for, for Asian sauces. Now, you'd mentioned before that there are, because of the way that our, our basically the the food is grown, the soil is not as nutrient-rich as it used to be 20, 30 years ago, that there are some recommendations for supplements that you you recommend for people that we just might not, even if we eat all the right stuff in the proper amounts, just because of the a couple of changes in the way that farming has happened, that there might not be enough of that nutrient left in your system. So what are some of the, like if you had to, and you're looking at, man, I, I got a limited amount of money, but I care about my microbiome health. And I want to, I want to get my biggest bang for my buck with some supplements. What are some of the supplements you recommend? Without question, the number one most important one that also happens to be the, the cheapest supplement that exists. But my number one choice would be L-glutamine, and L-glutamine is an amino acid your body produces on its own. However, sometimes an extra boost of it can help with a lot of things. One of the jobs of L-glutamine is to repair holes in the lining of your small intestines. So as you eat some of the foods that you're not supposed to, wheat, grain, corn, sugars, and they start uh, blasting holes in the lining of the small intestines, L-glutamine comes by and repairs that, which strengthens your gut integrity, which can generate more serotonin and help with inflammation. So that's that kind of like when you, like preventative, like when you feel a cold coming on, you start slamming the vitamin C exactly. kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, I recommend uh, L-glutamine to, to help if you're drinking. So if you're going to have some some liquor, they you need to that. just put it in liquor. They'd sell a bunch <laughs> of it. It's like a new healthy liquor. Oh, man. <laughs> Bourbon glutamine. But you can add more L-glutamine <laughs> when you feel cold coming on, too. That's going to reinforce your immune system. And I, I, it's a five-gram scoop, typically, and you want to do two to three of those a day. You just like put it in water, put it in whatever? I put it in water. I don't get any kind of flavor from it, but you could put it in smoothies. You could put it in whatever you want. But that would be the number one best thing you can do. I'll scoop it into my bourbon. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Put in your coffee, you know, make a bulletproof or an Irish coffee with some L-glutamine. I'm just kidding. Probiotics is is good choice. The only problem with probiotics is there's so many different types of strains, and without expensive testing, it's difficult to tell exactly what your body will respond best to. I just trust whatever Jamie Lee Curtis says. Oh, absolutely. Activia. <laughs> But, but probiotics can be helpful. I would recommend the refrigerated kind. I would recommend cycling different kinds. And if you've never taken them, start with the lower culture. I think they go as low as five cultures and they go, or five billion, and they go up to 200 billion plus. So what is a, like, I don't think I've ever bought a probiotic. Like I've seen it in stuff, right? Like I've seen ginger tea with probiotic, or I've seen the stuff that Activia sells. Do you, are you just talking about just buying like cultures? Like that's a thing you can do? Yeah, probiotic cultures. You know, if you go to... Uh, it's like a jello shot? What does it look like? <laughs> typically, it's in a capsule. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So um, it's like a pill. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's typically in a capsule. And there's all different types of varieties out there. You know, make sure it has lactobacillus. You know, there's a couple that most people benefit from. But it's a good idea to rotate them because you don't know exactly what your body needs and will respond to. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of plant fiber. I'm not talking about fiber one bars or kashi, which I don't think either of those things are healthy, but plant fiber. You could either buy plant fiber by itself or just eating more vegetables. Some people may benefit from digestive enzymes, which help them break apart and use their food better if they have some deficiencies already. A high-quality green supplement or a high-quality detox program, which episode, was it six? Is all about that, but that can give your body quite the boost on detox. So L-glutamine, you said that was the best one. What, you just go Amazon L-glutamine? Sure. I, I don't G-L-G-T-A-M-I-N. really care where you get it from. M-I-N. Smells like glutamine. There you are. <laughs> L-glutamine. <laughs> and it's L-dash. It's yeah. not like L, like right. <laughs> L-taco. <laughs> Exactly. Now, other benefits of L-glutamine is it stops the wasting of muscle during strength training. So it can help preserve lean muscle tissue if you're going hard at the gym. So just as an added benefit. So tons and tons of benefits to L-glutamine. None of your stuff was like the traditional things you hear from bodybuilders, like a protein powder, but there's all the different creatine, all the different kind of powders that you see at your GNC. None of that's on your list. 
Well, not specific to gut health. Yeah. Um, now, if you're trying to get huge and swole, this probably isn't the best podcast for that. Uh, it's just <laughs> not an area of interest I have. Uh, I really do respect the sport and what it takes to do that. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, but I'm after general health, you know, feeling good, looking good naked. If you want to get swole, creatine can absolutely help. It's the most studied supplement on the planet, you know, as far as dosing and cycling on and off. There's all kinds of recommendations. I know Mike Menser was huge on using creatine. Some that, that could be a whole good episode, talking about some of Mike Menser's philosophies. He was one of the few people, if not the only one, to be Arnold at uh, what Mr. Universe mm. um, in bodybuilding. And he had a very interesting approach to strength training that was 100% based on recovery. And he would only recommend 20 minutes of working out every four to seven days. And with the proper nutrition plan, his guys would put on 40 or 50 pounds in six to nine months wow. of muscle. But those 20 minutes were all out every single muscle fiber you have effort on that set. And, but he understood the properties of repair and all that. And, and if you just do set after set after set, you, you would have to have steroids in order to recover enough to actually see growth. So all these misconceptions about needing to do two a days and four hours a day, that was specific to the steroid taking population, but they were in general public magazines. So people don't get the whole story. They would see these four hour workouts and go, Oh, I want to be like him. So I have to work out four hours a day. If you're not taking steroids, it's not going to happen. And we all know that steroids have horrendous health effects. Uh, So that's not a great way to go. So uh, proper recovery is is really, really important if you're trying to grow muscle. If you're overtraining and you're not sleeping enough, you you could actually be breaking down muscle. That's where L-glutamine could help to retain that lean muscle mass. Creatine's a whole nother topic, which we won't get into today. Yeah, it's it's tough to wrap your mind around because it feels so countercultural that if you go hard at the gym and you really want to protect your hard investment of your time and your effort, you need to sleep. They just don't seem to be like linked in my brain quite yet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not the first thing you think of at all, but the most anabolic muscle building thing you can do, period, is to sleep mm. and to get good quality sleep. So why is that? That is when the hormones responsible for rebuilding do their thing. If you're awake, you're in a catabolic state, you're breaking down. You have so you tear down in the gym. If you don't get that sleep component, you're not maximizing rebuilding that muscle. So when you're asleep is the only time that your muscle is rebuilding? Uh, As far as I know, that's a primary rebuilding phase. You know, if there's some small amount going on during the day, I haven't really researched that. Now, going back to blue light, we know exposure late at night can cause issues. They're starting to come out with some fixes for that, such as night shift mode on the Apple iPhone. Yeah, why don't they put that in TVs yet? Well, they do. It's They have something called F.LUX, Flux, that you can download on most, because most TVs are smart TVs now. Oh, you, really? And you could add applications. And I don't know if they're building them in, like, ready to go out of the package with that. But yeah, typically, somebody should. You'd think tip- Apple could just turn it on, because they've already figured out how to do it on their phone. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. All right, Apple, come on. Yep. And if you're not sure on that, the blue light blocking glasses look way less dorky today than they used to 10 years ago. I got my wife a pair for Christmas. They're not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And they even have some that look like Oakley's now. They're, they're pretty neat. Now, something else to consider is dopamine response from social media. That's causing awake hormones as well. Every time you get a like or and you're scrolling through, dopamine, the seeking hormone, is causing your body to be more alert at night. Yeah, I, every once in a while I take a little bit of flat because at nighttime, like right around 7, 8 o'clock at night, I put my phone on the charger. I don't sleep with it in the bedroom. It's in another room. And uh, I try to take my watch off so that I don't get the little pings, you know. Yeah. I just want to wind down for the day, yeah. spend the last hour hanging out with the wife and kids and watching a little TV kind of stuff. Then, But it does kind of get on my, I guess it gets on my nerves a little bit when I think about the, the culture that's come up around like when you, when you sleep with it next to your bed because you're just it's always pinging it's always going off you wake up and you look at it first thing it just feels very unhealthy I'm not talking about from a blue light dopamine thing it just feels like a bad way to live yeah <laughs> no it absolutely is I strongly recommend having blackout periods not just for your sleep health but also family health too and relationships you know I, in a previous marriage we were always fighting about how we we're always glued to our phones. 
and having those blackout periods, I think, is really, really important. But especially at night, to improve your sleep quality, I highly recommend that the phone does not go in the bedroom. And don't give me that stupid excuse that it's your alarm clock. You get an alarm <laughs> clock for $4. That's <laughs> uh, the worst. You don't need the phone in there. But one of the reasons for that is uh, there, there are some types of waves and things going on with your phone that are going to interrupt some of the deep sleep wavelengths yeah so let's say you get a like on social media or the opposite of that is you're just refreshing hoping to get likes and comments i, I uh, used to do that quite a bit yeah especially with dating apps oh my god yeah um, that could destroy your sleep health but, but no i think that's really important and a lot of people make that mistake if they're having a hard time going to bed they pull up their phone now they right. have that blue light and flicker even if it's on night shift mode you've just jacked up your sleep for another hour or two because of that five minutes of scrolling through Facebook at one in the morning because you couldn't sleep. Yeah, because aside from the blue light, there's also the effect of the dopamine, like what you're saying. Like, kind of wakes you up. Like, oh, yeah, that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um, now my phone actually stays on silent all day long, which drives a lot of people nuts. But I don't want to be chronically, just every time I hear a ding or a ping and, and I get that dopamine and I get that that taxes your adrenal system. That's not good for you. That can elevate stress hormones. I made a switch about, I'd say six months ago now, that I don't regret at all. But I thought it was going to be harder than it was, but it turns out it wasn't that bad. One, I deleted email off my phone. Yeah. Just erased it. And then two, I've only been checking email at certain times of the day. Oh, that's perfect. So there's just a couple of times a day I check it. And what that does is, like you were saying, it kind of frees me from, in my sense, in my case, it was less of a health choice and more of like a uh, productivity choice, I guess is what it started as, that I didn't want to be, I didn't want my schedule driven by everything that was coming in the inbox. I wanted to actually say, these are the things I want to get done today, focus on them and get them done. And so I actually had to modify my plan a little bit and not check email in the morning because that would wreck my day. I had to get up and do the, a couple of the things that I really needed to do and then check my email like around 11 o'clock. But it made a huge difference in my productivity and probably in my stress level too, but I wasn't really paying that close of attention to it. Yeah, I don't think people understand with that taxing of the adrenal system what happens when you check and check and check and check. Oh, and check. yeah. I know um, I get that feeling like if I get a text from a client of something that, that they're not either pleased about or something that I should have done that it's not done or whatever, like I feel that stress like boom, like... Yeah. I'm right into it. Now, something else I used to be bad about is whenever I arrived at the destination I was driving to, I would sit in the car for 15 minutes and scroll. And what I would notice is this headache would build and build and build. As I, And it still happens to this day. If I oh. sit and I pull out my phone and I start scrolling, the more I scroll and the more stuff I check out, the more grumpy and just agitated I become and I get this headache. And maybe part of it is like that Wolf episode the other day. They were talking about every inch forward your head is adds 10 extra pounds. Oh, yeah. A uh, bit of hunch, text neck, they called it. Text neck, yeah. <laughs> so I got that going on, but it, but, uh, but I think that can lead to general agitation throughout the day too, and that yeah. continues to build. And so sometimes I'll catch it and I'll go, "Oh my god, it's because I'm on my phone." I put my phone down, and the headache goes away. Mm. So I don't know, something to think about for our listeners. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about caffeine. That's a drug that everybody loves. <laughs> uh, so the way caffeine works is we have these cells called adenosine and they bind to receptor sites and caffeine looks almost identical to an adenosine uh, molecular cell or whatever you want to call them and they plug in the receptor site for adenosine. Adenosine is what tells us we're tired and it's time to go to bed. So as caffeine blocks this we get this backlog of adenosine and we talked about in previous episodes that caffeine has an eight hour half-life. So if you have 100 milligrams of caffeine at 1 o'clock, by 9 o'clock, there's still 50 milligrams left. And your body is waiting for that to wear off so that the actual adenosine can fit into the receptor again and tell your body to go to bed. So, so that's a little bit about how caffeine works. Now, there are some benefits to caffeine. Uh, so let's talk about a couple of the benefits first. We, we know that it can help with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's slightly with some of the symptoms. It can help if you don't overdo it, can help with type 2 diabetes, um, getting a little bit better control of blood sugar. We know that it can help with reducing the risk for gallstones, some cancers. We know it can help with asthma attacks, heart rhythm problems and strokes, and cirrhosis of the liver even. I've always heard that it has antioxidants. What it are the does. benefits of antioxidants? So antioxidants help to reduce inflammation. 
okay. throughout your body. Those are fantastic. The more of those, the better. I've also heard, and is this, I don't know if this is true or not, but just by smelling coffee, you can get some of the antioxidants? I have no idea. That's good to know, though. If that is true, I'll have to, I'll have to verify that, but I'm going to start snorting some coffee beans. <laughs> just carrying around a just can, just open it. <laughs> <laughs> but you can feel a mood boost when you walk by a Starbucks, or, or my favorite thing on the planet is grocery week, or, or the day, day I go grocery shopping and I open up a brand new pack of coffee beans to pour into my grinder, yeah. and just that rich aroma. Yeah, um, there's something about it. Yeah, it's a great it's, smell. It's, it's almost blissful. But so those are some of the positives. Now, that's if you don't overdo it. Now, overdoing it to me is more than two cups after noon. So you can have one to two cups up until 12 p.m. of, of coffee. If, if you continue past that, remember that eight-hour half-life, you're going to start um, building up and plugging in adenosine receptors, causing some sleep disturbances. So, so I like to cut it off by then, and then I switch to green tea because there's only 15 milligrams of caffeine in green tea versus 150 milligrams, which is what's in a typical cup of coffee. Um, so just a couple of good recommendations there. Now, next we're going to talk about the negative effects of caffeine. So obviously because of that adenosine blocking, it's going to change sleep patterns. Uh, you can't have auditory hallucinations. So actually when I was a music ed major, I would be in the... In the you know, before recitals and stuff, I'd practice till two, three, four in the morning. And mm. I would literally hear pianos down the hall playing themselves, which they weren't. <laughs> but uh, because of the caffeine I was running off of. Just yeah. Made, I would like to blame a lot of stuff in my in my relationships on this. My mom would always said that I was selective hearing, like I only heard what I wanted to hear. But maybe <laughs> I just had too much coffee and I was just hearing stuff. <laughs> Auditory hallucinations. No, you did say that. I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it might be involved. Now, it can, not to a huge extent, but to some extent, it can hamper absorption of some minerals and vitamins, such as magnesium, zinc, and iron, because caffeine binds itself to these types of minerals. I don't think it's quite to the uh, extent that they once thought, but, yeah. but if you're already having a hard time with that, we don't need to add anything on top of that that's reducing mm -hmm. the absorption of that. Could definitely raise blood pressure. I got a blood pressure machine and I decided to test it out. And so I tested my blood pressure and I've been on high blood pressure medicine for a while and I've been weaning myself off of it because I've been feeling so good just working out. I didn't know if I needed it anymore. I didn't have the symptoms of what I felt were high blood pressure anymore. So I haven't had the blood pressure medicine in like two weeks and it's a cumulative effect. It takes a while to kick in and start getting regular. So... But when I would stop taking it before, I'd get headaches right away. But anyways, my blood pressure today was like 125 over 75 or something like that. Oh, wow. That's not too bad. Which is not too bad for me, for a guy with high blood pressure. And uh, But I haven't been on my meds, and I think that having, not having coffee is a big part of it. That's a huge win. Because I would go in and get my blood pressure taken by the doctor, and they would take it again. And they would be like, I think there's something wrong with the machine. It was just crazy high. Oh, wow. It was always like 140 over like 100 or something. That is bananas. Right. Now, how long have you stopped drinking coffee? It's, it's been seven, eight weeks now, I think. Maybe. Wow. So even in just two months' time, yeah. you're able to reduce some of the blood pressure medication and seeing positive results. I don't know. Like I was, I'm not a scientist. I just know like what my body feels and stuff. And I knew what it felt like. Like if I didn't take the high blood pressure medicine in the, and I would go like two days, I'd get like a pressure headache and I would know. And my wife would be like, have you been taking your medicine? And I'm like, oh, crap. Yep, that's it. And then it would take a couple of days to get back. But I had I'd been kind of loosely testing that and taking a couple of days off and jumping back on and just seeing for the last month or so. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. I haven't had any of the, the negative effects of the high blood pressure. Wow. So any of our listeners with high blood pressure, if you haven't taken a look at your caffeine consumption, that could make a big difference. Yeah. And we mentioned in another episode, like it wasn't like I was having two cups of coffee, like I was overdoing it real good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a client that I was real close with him and his wife. He was, he was a uh, pastor and we used to hang out at Starbucks or whatever and just catch up outside of anything training related. And one time we met at eight o'clock at night and he had a, like whatever the big size is, what grande? I um, think so. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's eight o'clock at night. Like, I'll be fine. I've done this for years. He's also type two diabetic. <laughs> and I said, it's really not a good idea. Uh, he did it. And um, I said, you know, I'm concerned you're gonna have a heart attack or something like that. And I kid you not, at two in the morning, I got a phone call from him in his hospital bed. He'd had a heart attack that oh, night. Man. 
And that's not, you know, it's kind of fun to say I told you so and I'm right sometimes, but that's not the way. Right. <laughs> and again, probably the key there is like, I've done this for years. Like it, you can really, people can overdo it. And they, for some reason, it's like the acceptable drug. Yeah. It's also like you mentioned as a pastor. It's also like, cause I was a pastor for a while. It's also the Christian drug. It's the <laughs> one that we're all fine with. It's, it's still like, a stimulant. It's still a drug. And I don't <laughs> think we think about it like that. But no, it actually, it absolutely has some benefits if treated correctly. Like uh, so many things in life, right? In in moderation. Yeah. yeah. Just a couple other quick points. Remember, it's a diuretic, so it could dehydrate you. And it definitely stains teeth and coffee breath is horrendous. I'll never forget one of my math tutors, or she was my teacher and a tutor, and sitting next to her having to smell that coffee breath during the problems. And the acids can aggravate heartburn and things like that too. Now, aside from caffeine interrupting things. There's a few other things you can do to kind of hack your body. It's not really a hack. It's it's helping your body physiologically get to where it needs to get. But there's actually an inverse relationship between lowered body temperature and melatonin release. So what I mean by this um, is your body needs to drop four degrees in temperature in order for proper melatonin release to help with sleep. Hmm. I don't know... Uh, I don't really know the uh, hot side of the equation, but I know with the with the cooling effect, like if it's hot, I can't sleep, period. Yeah. That might just be kind of fatigued, but for proper REM sleep, for in deep sleep, that four degree temperature makes a big difference. Oh, yeah. There's something about being too hot for sure. Like, can't, got to get out from under the covers. Like, this when it's too hot, it's really hard to sleep. I'm oh, it's miserable. Now, this is why giving a, a baby a bath works. Here's what happens. And it works with adults, too. If you take a warm bath, your body temperature rises and the body goes, well, that's too high. I got to regulate that. So it thermoregulates. And once you have that four degree drop, then you get sleepy. So I actually recommend if you really struggle with going to bed or, or falling asleep, taking an Epsom salt bath, even more so than just a regular bath. The Epsom salt has magnesium in it, which will relax your muscles and aid in sleep. But then also that temperature difference of the body thermoregulating and then dropping the temperature, sleep like a baby. Hmm. So what I typically do is when I start the bath, I'll go ahead and kick the air down to 68. So by the time I get out of that hot bath, it's pretty cool. I can get under the covers. Sometimes I stay on top of the covers as my body's still cooling down because I'm still hot from the bath. And uh, it significantly aids in sleep. Now, one other thing to consider is uh, timing of sleep and how that works with circadian rhythm. So getting to bed but around 10 or 11 o'clock is optimal. And the reason for that is around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we have this huge spike in growth hormone that we can use to grow new muscle, repair, and regenerate. So if you're you know, awake till midnight, you may miss part of that really big spike. And then we get another spike around two in the morning. So I'm wondering if this is why third shift workers have a four times likelihood of, of getting cancer. So our firefighters, our nurses, Nurses especially, they're under that halogen and, and LED lights for hours and hours when their body's supposed to be in bed if they're working third shift. And I think that's part of what con contributes to that increase in cancer. All right, so we talked a lot about the right times to do stuff, the right time to sleep, the right time to get sunlight. What are the right times to exercise? Now, this could uh, be different for, for different individuals, but actually exercising in the morning for most people can increase deep sleep by up to 75%. Now, this may not be the case for everybody, and it may not be practical, especially if something's wrong with their cortisol patterns, which is where lab work and blood work can really be important. So if they have super, super, super low cortisol in the morning, we probably don't want them exercising right then or super, super high either. So why would uh, something that you do 18 hours before you fall asleep have anything to do with your sleep? Well, the reason uh, has to do uh, with what it does to cortisol patterns. So cortisol should follow a diurnal pattern, meaning it's higher in the morning and it drops steadily throughout the day. And when cortisol drops to a, to a certain level, it allows for melatonin and things like that to release. So exercising in the morning can help get that cortisol a little bit higher and spiked when you want energy and allow for that steady fall throughout the yeah. day. Is there like an optimal time for strength versus interval versus cardio? I think it would differ from person to person, but the best type of training to help improve cortisol patterns is going to be doing supersets in your 8 to 12 rep range. So what a superset is is when you do one exercise immediately followed by another exercise of a different muscle group before taking your one to two minute rest. 
I mean, staying in that heavier eight to 12 rep range instead of doing like 400 reps, like you'd see in a, a typical group fitness class, that's stressing the body. And the one to two minute interval is training your body to deal with that stress. And it can help to regulate cortisol patterns. Mm. But, but early in the morning, your second best time of day is going to be usually around 5 p.m. Granted, you have four hours post-workout before going to bed because that allows the body temperature to drop back and some of that increase in norepinephrine and adrenaline that happened during the workout to, to figure itself out. Yeah. And just a friendly reminder by Sean Stevenson, lifting weight does not make you big and bulky. Chocolate croissants make you big and bulky. <laughs> One of the biggest concerns I have from women is I don't want to look like a bodybuilder. It's very, very difficult to yeah. look like that. Um, doing supersets in your 8 to 12 reps. Do you think range. anybody has legitimately ever accidentally got the physique of a bodybuilder? <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> I was just doing regular workouts. Two <laughs> now or three I have times. 36-inch biceps. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. It seems like when you think about it like that, it's a pretty lame excuse, but... <laughs> yeah. It's a general, it's a genuine concern a lot of women have. But yeah, they, they want to be lean, right? Yeah, they want to be lean and, and still be a little curvy and feminine. Or maybe they maybe they want like a CrossFit style body. I mean, well, that's fine, but you're not going to get that way by accident. It takes uh, specific nutrition. It takes certain types of workouts and intensity and all kinds of things. Now, the next thing I wanted to jump into, uh, speaking of timing, is one of the most common questions I have, you know, is, is it bad to eat late at night? Yeah. Is it bad? I think for I know sleep, I feel like crap when I eat late at night. Yeah, I think for sleep quality, <laughs> it could be. And here's why. When you eat something, your blood sugar spikes. And when it spikes, it has to normalize. So then it crashes. And during that crash, it pulls amino acids with it that are responsible for melatonin release. Mm-hmm. So it can uh, cause some significant delay of melatonin release in, in deep sleep. Yeah. Um, I know for me, like if I overeat late... I am often waking up during the night as opposed to sleeping through the night. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Usually around 2 a.m. is when you'll be woken out of sleep because of that whole blood sugar deal. Same with like a nightcap. Like a late night drink will do the same thing to me. Like 2 o'clock. I'm like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. It'll knock you out initially. um, And then you'll wake up at 2 in the morning. That's pretty common. Now, the other concern I have with it, going back to the glymphatic system, if you ate all that food, your your blood is not going to your brain for glymphatic drainage. It's going to your stomach for digestion. So you could be hampering that amyloid uh, beta plaque cleanup. Now, speaking of alcohol, we know that that's going to significantly cause disruption of REM sleep. It also dehydrates you. So you want to be careful with that. And a good rule of thumb is try and finish your alcohol three hours before bed. And for every alcoholic beverage, try and drink a glass of water because of the dehydration, which is actually what causes the nausea associated with hangovers. So what you're saying, Brandon, is healthy people day drink? Is that Absolutely. (laughs) 9 a.m., pull out that vodka. But no, as long as it's three hours before bed, um, that's your optimal time to consume your alcohol. Now, other things that could impact sleep is your mattress health. So mattresses wear out at the hips first. So if you don't flip your mattress and you don't switch it after however many years, your spine is being pulled into funky positions that can cause chronic low back pain. I always heard like the rule of thumb was replace it every seven years, mattresses. You heard that before? I have. I Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know what the exact ruling is. I always put a mattress pad on top. So to, what about like sleep position? Yeah, so let's say you have the sheets on really, really tight, and it pulls your feet down into plantar flexion for eight hours. Like bent down. Yeah, like toes pointing. Yeah. Uh, So that's a common cause of plantar fasciitis and some really, really annoying muscular and and myofascial problems. Mm. So your sleep position can impact that, and that could even wake you up at night if it starts to ache. So so I do think it's important to, to consider that. If you have a funky thing that happens, you wake up really, really sore, consider maybe it's your sleep position or the quality of your mattress. Now, a couple other things we can do to help with stress and relaxation and getting to sleep is deep breathing, meditation, and mindfulness. I think we've covered this in almost every single episode now. I mean, that could be anything you want. It could be prayer. It could be doing box breathing, which me and Joe both agree should be called triangle, triangle breathing. breathing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which would be breathing in for four counts, holding for seven counts, and breathing out for eight counts. That's I tried a, that a couple of times when I was having trouble falling asleep, and it, it helped. It did. Yeah. I think just thinking about something else took my brain off of whatever I was processing and uh, just allowed me to just get sleepy, man. 
Yeah, yeah, it makes a big, big difference. One thing I want to talk about is something called grounding, also called earthing. What the heck is this nonsense? That so, sounds very granola. It does sound very granola. <laughs> so literally walking around barefoot uh, like a hippie. And I try all this stuff out before I, I suggest it to clients or anything. But basically, the earth has a neutral charge and, uh, or a negative charge, excuse me. Inflammation is a positive charge. And because of shoes and synthetic materials, we never get that uh, negative charge anymore. So inflammation continues and continues to build. So simply walking around barefoot or getting a grounding product can actually significantly reduce inflammation. This Does is, it have to be like dirt and earth or what if you're just walking around barefoot on like ceramic tile? Does it have the same effect? Not, not the same. There are some conductive surfaces. I can't remember where ceramic falls, but concrete does work. Wood is not a good conductor. Asphalt's not a good conductor because of the tar, but dirt, water, grass, things like that, you can still get that benefit. Gotcha. Now, in North Carolina, um, it's finally uh, cooled off and kind of like winter now, and it's not practical. So they make products now. I have a, a grounding sheet that I got as a gift, and it plugs into the grounding part of, of the outlet in the wall. And what that does is it gives you that eight hour, if you sleep for eight hours, of the negative charge. And that helps reduce inflammation. You sleep better. That's definitely something I recommend. Mm. You know, I was just thinking of like like old West movies, all the cowboys who sleep on the ground with their head propped up on a log. They never seem to complain about uh, aches and pains. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But I think that is a key component that we've lost contact with. and that And it sounds super, super hippie, but it's not. There's EKG studies, there's tons of research. You know, one, one of the ways they found out was there's this woman and her baby and the baby would cry and cry and cry unless she was walking around barefoot. Mm. Well, come to find out, baby had Crohn's disease. Yeah. His gut was inflamed as crap. But that, you had told me about the grounding blanket and you were doing a, a pretty, you were still in the middle of it, a pretty aggressive workout series. Extremely you were, aggressive. You were very leg. sore. And like when you would show me how to do the exercise, you're like, imagine doing this and you didn't want to do it because you were just very sore. And then you <laughs> slept on that blanket and you're like, man, I feel great. Like you look like you, uh, you were so excited about it, like, and you said it just woke up and you weren't sore that day. It was insane. It was fantastic. Now, a couple other uh, quick anecdotes with grounding. I have a Shiba Inu dog, and tr traditionally, they don't like to be touched. They don't like to be pet. And when I started reading about grounding, I'd had her for about three years. Never once let me pet her uh, for more than about 10 seconds. And so I was walking around in the grass like an idiot, thinking this is dumb. And after about 10 minutes, she laid down on my foot. And let me pet her for 15 minutes, first time in three years. Mm. Um, and they're really sensitive to that positive charge and static buildup and things like that, which is why dogs don't like storms and they run to the bathroom because there's not a lot of static buildup around the bathtub. Wow. And to this day, anytime I'm barefoot or with, on that grounding, she, she's totally cool with me petting her. She'll even get in the bed with me for four or five hours now. And she's never, ever done that. Do you think you can get any benefits from doing like five, 10 minutes on the grass? Because I mean, I don't have like 10 hours to just stand outside. Well, according to the guy <laughs> who uh, really did the research on this, uh, Clinton Ober, uh, he says 20 to 30 minutes is um, your minimal effective dose. Mm. But it's also part of why you feel so good when you go to the beach. Yeah, I love the beach. Absolutely. Was, uh, no, that's that's why we're so drawn to those types of things is is it does have an anti-inflammation effect. It helps all kinds of things. If you wanted to find out more about that, I would... That's the whole reason that the beach is so relaxing. We just all missed the point. <laughs> part of it and the sunlight and the vitamin D and right. um, there's a whole lot of components there. So get into mm -hmm. nature, guys. You don't have to, you know, uh, get dreadlocks and braid your hair and stuff, but but still, I, I think it's it helps. Now I know we're getting kind of towards the end here. Let me just I want to give our listeners a couple other quick things that can help with stress and sleep. There's something you can take called valerian root, and this is a super super cheap supplement, like nine bucks a bottle. It smells like feet, but you're going to take three capsules an hour before bedtime. Mm, and, delicious, <laughs> and this could naturally help you sleep. I don't always recommend taking melatonin, especially if it's chronically, because it could downregulate your body's ability to produce it on its own if you're taking a ton of this stuff. And I'll take it on nights I know I'm getting to bed late or if I know I'm going to be super stressed because I'll be finishing like a workshop late at night. It's a good quick way to get the body to calm down some. Um, and there's also uh, magnesium. Taking magnesium before bed makes a huge difference. Uh, that can help with sleep quality, can help with blood sugar control, muscle soreness, and on and on. The same concept as the Epsom salt bath. Yeah. 
So buffered chelated. Buffered chelated. That's my favorite. I like designs for health. I think they're one of the best carriers of supplements. There is actually one thing you can do that kind of impacts everything we've talked about. If it's right for you, if you can properly take care of it, buying a dog. Having a dog can help with all this. You have to take them on walks. They make you move, so that helps your lymphatic system. You have to get in the sun with them. You're getting exposed to nature, so it's helping your microbiome. There's actually an oxytocin exchange when you when you spend time with them, when, you, when you're holding them, when you're petting them. That helps reduce stress and inflammation. So, so I think it's a, it's a fantastic addition to your family that could also help with stress and sleep quite a bit. Get a dog. Nobody ever says get a cat. They're great for you. Because cats are assholes. <laughs> the cats make you work for it. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you to pet me? <laughs> which is kind of like the dog I have, which is funny. <laughs> but but uh, no, I think if it's right for you, a cat or a dog or an animal, yeah. it can really help so long as you can take care of it. Now, sometimes it could backfire if you're like chewing all your drywall and just terrors. And yeah. It may not be helping. But, <laughs> but if you get the right pet, you know, I think getting my dog, uh, Molly, is the best thing I'd ever done. So that's a lot of stuff to take care of. I think one of the things that I've been learning from just listening to you hosting this show is to start with one thing, build it in a habit, and then grow on that habit. What do you think is the best thing to start with from all the things that you've you've given suggestions today? I would say reducing exposure to your phone and blue light before bed, having a 30 minute to an hour curfew and starting there. I think that's, that's the, probably the easiest, most accessible thing to start with. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could start looking into the Epsom salt baths, the salt rock lamps, the grounding and all that other stuff. But, but that's a pretty quick, simple thing that you can do. Awesome. Solid. Well, I think that's uh, all the time we have now. Now I kind of want to nap. I know. I was thinking that too. Like, I'm going to sleep good tonight. (laughs) I hope so. And hopefully this episode helps all you listeners out there to get a little bit better sleep too. If you wanted to get a fantastic resource that was the backbone for a lot of the information presented here, I would get Sean Stevenson's best-selling book called Sleep Smarter. Just incredible. I think it's in 15 plus languages now. At one point, it was the bestseller on Audible for six months. So check out Sleep Smarter. Fantastic resource. Love Sean Stevenson. But that's all we have for today. Now go the F to sleep. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. 